Epiphany Science Podcast. My name is Tyler Bublitz, and welcome back to the last Sunday of Epiphany, the transfiguration of our Lord for the week of February 14th, 2021, and I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to dig into this week's podcast, and wow, it's crazy to think that we are knocking right here on Lent's door with Ash Wednesday coming up this next week, and just that we're in this season again. Uh, we've been following the light. We've been hearing about Jesus's early ministry, which this week we kind of jump a little bit further into his ministry, but then also that we are in this place in this time where we're able to start the reflection process. I wouldn't say Lent is a time that we necessarily look forward to, but I think it's a time that's great. And especially in a lot of times, especially when we look at what we talked about a little bit last week, this time of reflection. And it feels like because a lot of us, at least here in the United States, have kind of been in some type of shelter in place or some type of awkwardness for almost a year, it's been almost like a year of Lent. And so a lot of reflection, which kind of jumps into our Twitter question from last week, how are we going to be changed when we come back together? How are we going to use the gifts that God has given you in this time now when we come and move forward? And I had some interesting responses, and I think they were really, really well thought out. I think first time is being thankful. It's being thankful for God being able to help us through this time, even when it was difficult, that God's still always been there. And I think that's a great reminder, especially in these times when things are feeling topsy-turvy, upside down, a little bit weird. When are we going to return back to whatever that normal state was, which I think that's going to be a whole lament in and of itself because I don't think we're going to be able to return to the way that things were beforehand. And I think that's something that we almost have to mentally start preparing for now. But the second part of this, I think, is just as important. And I hope that we're able to listen to each other. There's a lot of times where right now, especially, we've all had a lot of unique experiences because we've all been isolated. We've all been by ourselves or with very few people. And so when we're coming back together, I think there will be a lot of stories to tell. I think there'll be a lot of things that we do need to discuss, a lot of things that we need to lament or cry about, be able to put before God. And I think in that process of us trying to figure out what are we doing next with our lives, I think there is a period of time that we're just going to have to be okay with that things aren't going to be the same like they were. And that's hard. How often, even as children, we have this idea of giving things up is hard at times. And that's something where we're going to all be at as a community. I really foresee a lot of pain and difficulty as we do come back together and what what's okay. And I think it's also looking forward to it with anticipation. Because where have there been things that we've overlooked and now over the last almost year have we been able to see with clear vision what we should be doing and maybe that there were things that were distracting us from being able to connect with God. And it's kind of funny that I bring up the word vision because we will be talking a lot about that with the transfiguration of our Lord. But this week I wanted to again jump into the first reading this week which is out of 2 Kings chapter 2 verses 1 to 12. And it's not surprising that this is the text that we have with us this week. It's Elijah and Elisha. 
Elijah being one of these great prophets and going through and kind of trying to warn the tribe of Israel at this point after Israel and Judea have split and is trying to warn them that they need to be turning and following God and doing these miracles but still is just trying to warn and warn and warn. And Elisha is there with him. And Elisha has been warned for a long time that the days of Elijah are coming to a close. And even as Elijah is trying to tell Elisha to stay back, knowing that the time to go and die, in quotes, is coming soon, because we'll talk a little bit about that in a second here, Elisha doesn't want to be left behind. He keeps wanting to be with Elijah. And finally, Elijah just asks, what are you wanting from me? What are you expecting before I'm taken from you? And Elisha asks for a double inheritance of the spirit of Elijah. And okay, fine. And then he gets chariots of fire and gets lifted up into heaven as one of the few people in scripture that we see as not dying, that gets gets ascended into heaven. Elisha does get a double spirit of what Elijah had based on that he has 14 miracles instead of seven. But one of the things of we keep talking about Elijah, and if you do a lot of Old Testament following, the one of the major prophets is Elijah. And it's that Elijah had this spirit of connecting with God that wanted to have this deep relationship with God. Elisha had that, but not nearly to the same extent, not nearly the relationship that Elijah had. Thus, you could almost say that there was a different type of vision that Elijah had because of the relationship that he had with God. Really interesting couple books there of First and Second Kings that's kind of doing a quick summary. I'll attach something down below I've run into that I found really helpful to kind of help with summarizing this stuff, but really worth checking out. And it makes sense with the transfiguration that this is with that text. The psalm this week is Psalm 50, verses 1 to 6. And again, this is a praise psalm. This is one of those that recognizing the power of what God is doing in our world around us, the perfection of what God is trying to have, and that we really should be giving praise to God, just declaring and giving all our praise to God because of all these things that he is doing in and around and among us. The second reading this week is from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 to 6. This is one of the things that I find really interesting here from Paul is talking about how we give glory to God even though we cannot see entirely what God is doing. That he has blinded us in ways and sometimes on purpose so that we don't fully see everything that's going on. But what we do see, the seeing the light of what we know of Christ, the light that we see, that that should embolden us to share the news of God and so that we are slowly being revealed to more and more of the glory of what God is trying to show us, to have for us, to be able to understand. The gospel text this week is out of Mark chapter 9, verses 2 to 9. Now, this is much later in Jesus' ministry, and it's starting to get toward, actually toward the end. We get, Mark only has 16 chapters, but this is when we start seeing Jesus kind of start heading toward Jerusalem 
after this. But I think there's also a couple key points here before I even get into summarizing this entirely, which will kind of leak some of this. But I've one of the things that I did find really interesting this week from a text study that I was involved in is Jesus is up on Mount Horeb. And the significance of Mount Horeb is, one, it's one of the only like hill mountains in the area. And two, this is connecting back to Genesis where we hear of the fallen angels coming back down to earth and being with human beings. This is the spot that gets credited throughout multiple religions of the spot that 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 happened. And so then knowing that information, and I'll attach some links down below on some different scholarly books talking about this subject, this is where then Jesus is taking Peter, James, and John up this mountain and he is transfigured before them into dazzling white clothes and appears among them Elijah and Moses, the two greatest prophets of the Old Testament. Peter suggests that they should make three dwellings, one for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for Jesus. But he's also terrified, just overwhelmed with everything that's going on. Suddenly, a voice came, said, this is my son, the beloved, listen to him. And then suddenly there was no one else there except Jesus. They come down the mountain and they're told by Jesus to tell no one until after he raises from the dead. Granted, this is also just right after Jesus had kind of foreseen his own death. That's where the six days later comes from that Peter is kind of just put to the side because Peter saying, you know, Jesus, why would you be foretelling this? And that's where we get the whole get behind me Satan text. So a lot going on here, especially dropping into this. But before we get into how faith and science come together in this, we have to do our shameless plug for Working Preacher. If you haven't checked out Working Preacher, I'd highly recommend it. Between their Sermon Brainwaves podcast, their commentaries, their discussions, since I'm not an ordained minister, I love being able to listen to four different seminary professors with just their Sermon Brainwaves podcast, not to include the multiple other commentaries on each of the readings, plus the history and archive that they have. It's amazing. And if you haven't checked out workingpreacher.org, I'd highly recommend it. Before we really jump into the science part of this, I think we first need to even just do a quick Google search and understand the Oxford Dictionary's definition of transfiguration. Because transfiguration and transform are not the same thing. Transfiguration is the complete change of a form or appearance into more beautiful or spiritual state is what we get from this. But it's the change in a Appearance, I think, is really something. The changing of internally the form of who we are, I think, is something that we can state. But the change in appearance, I think, is something that I was really running with this week because we see them talking about he transfigures before them and they're, they're in dazzling white that no one on earth had ever seen. That there, it was bleached white, that bleached more white than anything else, whiter than white, if we want to put it into advertising terms. If that is the case, something has changed, something is being transformed. It's almost as if they are seeing differently. And maybe for a moment they are. Brothers and sisters, I am here to argue that for a brief moment, 
Peter, James, and John saw another spectrum of light that humans can't see. Let me explain. Birds do not see the same way that humans do. And actually, a lot of other animals do, and I was jumping into that rabbit hole, and there's so many different things that you can get into, and I'm just going to focus on birds today because it's something, one, I really enjoy talking about, but two, it's a little bit easier to explain. But I would recommend after this doing some digging and look into other species and how they see, because it's fascinating. Birds have very unique senses. One Birds have magnetoreception, which is first and foremost that they actually are feeling the magnetic waves, the magnetic pull that the earth has. And that's partial of what they assume is helping birds to migrate. And there has been additional research, and I'll attach some research down below, where they are noticing, especially in their beak area, that this is something that is going on. And there have been some initial studies saying that humans have this, it's just that we're not really keen to it, but I'll put that to the side. So that's part of, I guess, their vision. They're able to navigate extremely well by being able to have this magnetoreception. But beyond that, birds literally see differently than us. See, birds have four cones of being able to see where we have three. So we have the three of red, blue, and green, where the fourth one that birds have is ultraviolet light, which from early studies, what we know based on that, we can't even see what literally they're seeing. But some of these birds that look very bland suddenly would look way different. So taking, for instance, like a raven or a crow being black does not appear black to birds. Another example of this that we can better understand is if you look at a blue jay feather, a blue jay feather on its own is black with maybe some white stripes or striation within it. Whereas if you have it in multiple feathers within the bird, suddenly, because of the bending of light, they appear blue. Just as an example for us that we're not seeing the same way as what it actually is. And birds, I say, even gets more fascinating as there is a phobia within everything, but we have one that's in the middle of our eye, which essentially is the highest area of where we're able to really focus. So this covers about 40% of our field of vision, which the greatest concentration of the fovea cells is in 10% of it. It's hence why when you look in your periphery and the vision out there, it's softer. It's not as crisp. It's not as perfectly detailed. We focus wherever our irises are directed is our main focus. And so then, boom, everything comes into focus. Birds don't work that way. Birds of prey, for instance, have two phobias. One, so that they can actually technically zoom in with one group of phobia so they can look very far away and be able to start doing almost zoom vision. Whereas their other group of phobia, they can keep so it's doing macro vision or up close vision. So they're able to look at the tree in fine detail where they're at while also looking a quarter mile away and zooming in and seeing if they see any potential prey. Seabirds, for instance, instead of having two phobias, have one, but it's a big, long strip over their retina so that 
their being able to see the horizon consistently sharply. Things that we just can't do. One other major crazy thing that we see with birds is that they got the pectin ochre, which is an area where it contains all the blood vessels that they need for the eye, whereas our eye isn't nearly as great in that way because technically if you like make a very small hole and kind of jiggle it in front of your eye where you're focused through there, you'll start seeing the shadows of the blood vessels that are floating around in your eye. Why would birds have this? It's specifically like birds of prey, like peregrine falcons, so that they can not have these floating around the eye, but thus that it has this whole section of the eye that has this, so that it's getting the blood flow that it needs. Thus, in summary, birds don't see the way we see things. They're seeing a totally different spectrum. They see things totally differently. Jesus has been warning his disciples getting up to this point of what is going to go on. His vision is different of what is going on with his ministry and what he is there to do than Peter, James, and John. Like we talked about when we were summarizing the text, this is right after Jesus essentially scolding Peter, saying, get behind me, Satan. You don't know what I'm here for. You're focused on human things, not divine things. His vision is different. And so when I look at this text and seeing how everything's just being completely transformed and it's just this total white, it's almost as if for a brief moment, Peter, James, and John see a different vision. Maybe it's in a physical form where they suddenly can start seeing like birds can and they're seeing a whole different spectrum of light that they've never seen before. Or maybe it's the moment that they actually started to understand or realize that God has a different vision than what they were initially anticipating. That this is something much greater than what they could have ever expected. It's really interesting where when we even look at the text that we have going with this this week, looking at Elijah and Elisha, where Elisha just assumes it's the spirit of what Elijah has is what was making Elijah Elijah. It's not. We don't talk about nearly as much what Elisha was. It was Elijah as one of the major prophets. Heck, even when we have John the Baptist and he's described in the clothing, part of the reason that that clothing is explained is because it was trying to connect him as a prophet, John the Baptist, back to Elijah, not Elisha. Elijah, one who talks with God. The understanding that it's not just the spirit that was within Elijah, it was the communication back and forth. Understanding the will of what God was wanting from Elijah. Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians of the same thing. That we are the light of Christ within the world now. And that we help show the image of God to the rest of the world. What does that look like? What are we going to do with that responsibility? And as we are able to do that more, we are able to have God slowly show us more of what he is planning. Slowly show us more of the world that God has created. Slowly start to see the vision, no matter how hard that vision is for us to swallow. The transfiguration shows that, yes, from a biblical perspective, 
you're seeing the movement of the prophets, Elijah and Moses from the Old Testament, and here is your new major prophet of Jesus, showing that this is a new Jesus, a transfiguration, a movement of showing the glory of God, a powerful moment. And like we talked about, on a very significant place to multiple different faith traditions to kind of show that, yes, this is the one who comes and conquers death. I find it really interesting when we start thinking about it from vision and suddenly that this was whiter than white, that it was something totally new and different, that maybe it's the idea that for a brief moment we were able to see something new. The realization that we don't see things the same way that the rest of the world does in the regards to the different species and animals. Some have great vision. Some have terrible vision. Some, their physical vision is so bad they have to suddenly start using their hearing. Almost as if that our vision cripples us from being able to hear what God is saying. Because remember, there is still the voice that comes as the cloud covers that this is my son, the beloved, listen to him. Which brings back the question, even from a few weeks back with Jesus' baptism, was when God talks, was it purely to Jesus or was it also to the people around him? Because this is in the third person, so we can assume that Peter, James, and John are also hearing this. Sight and vision are linked, and it's the question of are we going to use them? If we can't see this whole other spectrum of light, and maybe that's part of where we're we would be able to see what God is doing in the world. And for whatever reason, we are blinded to it. Is that so that we are more dependent on our ears to be able to listen and hear what God is calling us to do? Because in this transfiguration is not purely visual. It is also audio. They heard the voice of God telling them this. Just because we cannot see doesn't mean that we cannot hear. And we hear throughout scripture where Jesus says, blessed are those who cannot see his miracles, but that we have to listen for what God is doing. And it gets back to the question that we had last week. And I would, I'm going to have probably something very similar this week. And that how often we are dependent on our sight and we see the world and the way that things are right now. And how difficult it is being in this spot where we see the light at the end of the tunnel. We just don't know how long that tunnel is. And we get frustrated. And the problem with that is, is that we're never allowing ourselves the possibility to listen, to listen to what God is saying, to listen for the advice of where God is leading us. Maybe that's why we're not magneto receptive, is that we're so caught up in our own visual that we cannot hear where maybe our cells are trying to communicate transportation and direction to us. And that birds are. That they're so in tune that they're able to have this direction. Because we have seen in studies where birds are in a building with no windows and yet they still know as the seasons are starting to shift to fall how they're wanting to migrate. We've seen it in labs. Do we as people know and are able to be so in tune with what God is trying to call us that we can do the same? So the Twitter question this week is deep. How are you being transfigured? How are you being transfigured? Because it's not just purely an appearance. It's being transfigured internally so that our light within us shines brighter. Does that mean that we need to be able to listen more? Yes. Does it mean that we need to be able to be the light of Christ more? Yes. 
Can you argue that the world that we will be walking into at some point here when things and the world returns to whatever this new sense of normal is, is going to need these transformed people who have been transfigured internally? Yes. Brothers and sisters in Christ, it's amazing that we're walking through Mark's gospel at this time. Because as we are walking through this and as we are seeing the potential light at the end of the tunnel, it is not unreasonable for us to be thinking that, yes, this is a changing. This is a time where God is stirring and it's the question of, are we going to listen? And the key word is listen so that we can see. Because Peter, James, and John had to listen as Jesus took him up on top of the mountain. Are we able to listen to what we are being told? Are we being able to listen so that we can be magneto-receptive to subtle cues around us? Or are we going to let them pass by? In order for us to be able to do that, we need to be transfigured. So, we'll wrap this up as we always do. I pray God blesses you through your faith and amazes you through science.